welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. So we have two candles at night, and the second one is Mary. And uh, we, I mean, we probably all know that expression so well, don't we? Nothing is impossible with God. It's very nice to have one of the impossible answers with us this morning. I'm going to keep mentioning you because it's all glory to Jesus. You're looking good. Ah. I thought you were going home when the children went out. You want to be with your family. Ah, absolutely. <laughs> You're not even cheating and sitting on the sofa in the hub. This is, you know, impressive. You know, one of the reasons Den is here is her faith, our faith. It's God's miracle of grace. But also, like Mary... She said yes to Jesus. And there's such a determination in her. And actually, there's a lot, most Christians probably wouldn't be here this morning because they weren't 100%. But Dan was determined to be here. And we're going to need that kind of determination in us because we've all got stuff, and some of us have got much worse stuff that's gone on in our lives than others, but there needs to be a determination to live in the goodness of God and to rise up over these things. And I believe this is a place where that's happening. There was a lot happening in people today. You know, we we do have uh, these cards dotted around the place, the tell us your story cards. You know, they're always good to fill in if God's doing things in your life and then um, we can share them. You can give them straight to me or you can... Ask for them to be put in my pigeonhole. Or there's a prayer box that can go in there. They'll get to me then eventually. When they, get, when they take them out to pray, they'll find their story. But at least, it'll, but just, just do it. Tell some of those stories. And uh, don't try not to. Well, you will doubt sometimes, of course. But overcome the doubt. And hold on with the determination. There's so much in the adventure before us, but we need that determination. And yeah, many Christians wouldn't be here today. And yet, if you can get here when you're not 100%, this is the best place. It's not that everything happens here. It happens 24-7 in our lives, and we mustn't create this as a sort of a magic thing. But the gathering is special. And uh, it's quite popular not to think of it as special or, or, you know, to make it a priority. But there's a lot of other things, isn't there? This, this needs to be a real priority. It's, it's the family gathering with Jesus. Uh, if, you're, if you want to achieve anything in life, you've, you've got to put time into it. You know, if you want to excel at anything or be good at anything, you can't just casually put some time aside now and then. You've got to be disciplined about it, which is why we're called disciples, because we're supposed to be disciplined. It's the grace of God that enables us to live disciplined lives. Now, I want to just jump forward about 30 years from that encounter Mary had with the angel, because I do want to talk about Mary, but it's a story that happened about 30 years or so, after that. So she had that powerful encounter with 
the angel, Gabriel, who said, you're going to have the Son of God. She has a baby. I wonder how hard it is for a mother to imagine that baby's God. It just sounds virtually impossible to me, you know. Uh, But she did, and she had all those incredible experiences with the shepherds, with the kings, the rejection from her own village because she was pregnant. She's had all of that, and this is a story much, much later. I'll just read uh, the story first of all. It's from John chapter 2. On the third day, this is the third day after Jesus' baptism, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to Jesus, I have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. This was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs that he performed in Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. I think God wants to talk to us from this story of Mary today. It's, 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 it's a little bit of bringing together of some things. Um, let's, let's just have a look at a few things that's going on here. One of the strange things is when Jesus, when, um, his, Jesus' mother says to him, you know, can you do something about this? And Jesus turns to her and says, dear woman, now, it's the same phrase that he uses with the woman at the well. Woman, he says to her. And if we were talking in England, it, it would sound a bit rude. You know, if I um, went up to Joanne and said, woman, can you get me a cup of tea? She'd probably go and get me a cup of tea very graciously and smile at me, but she'd be thinking that was a little odd, a little bit rude. You know, we don't use that word like that. But at that time, it was a very... It was actually endearing. It was, a, it was a nice way to address a woman. But having said that, it wasn't how you usually spoke to your mother. You know, it doesn't quite fit. Why is Jesus talking to his mother in this way? Intimately, friendly, but not as if it's his mother that's just asked him to do something. And I think there's a great change happening. And I think that God wants to speak to us this morning about a change he wants to work actually in us through everything that we're going through. I mean, over the past year or so, we're all a bit battered and bruised. How many times have we... No, not another thing. Haven't we? 
Uh, I, I don't think we've ever prayed quite like last Sunday, and maybe this Sunday was, was get, get, getting to that there as well, but I don't think we've ever prayed quite like that before together. You know, that fighting for people. That, that's, I suppose what happened was you just saw how I pray for you. I don't normally do it quite that public because, you know, I fight for you. I may not always be very good at giving you a hug or saying hello or being the perfect pastor, but boy, do I fight for you in prayer. That's, that's what I am. I, I, I like to go to hell and fight. And normally you don't know and I don't say anything because it kind of bigs you up, doesn't it? So I probably won't say this again for ages. But perhaps it's good that, you know, that's how I pray for you. It's not always loud and shouting, though sometimes it is. don't know what my neighbor thinks. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's, I'm fighting that furiously just in the, in the spirit as I'm praying. It's like... You're, you're, the, you're the flock that God has entrusted me to lead. And I don't want the enemy having you. I don't always know what to say to you. I don't always know how to connect to you. And sometimes we can seem a long way apart because we come from different places. But I'm going to fight for you. And I want the best for you. And sometimes that's why I'm not very good at letting people go. Because it's like I fought for them in prayer. You know, it's... It's not a controlling thing, it really isn't. It's just a, it's like when your children grow up and leave home, having experienced that as well. It's got, you know, there are sometimes, oh, that's not mine, that's yours, I think, Claire. Um, Jesus just wants us to, I think, see him in a different way. And that's what's happening with his mother here. Imagine living with Jesus in your home for 30 years. From baby, toddler, child, teenager. He's roughly 30, we think, around now. Uh, and you've known him at home. You must, she must know him really, really well. And yet something happens here. And I think what Jesus begins to show her, see, there's nothing wrong in their relationship. Far from it. We, we need a close, intimate relationship with Jesus, don't we? And Mary is a great example of that. She knows she's got no doubt here that Jesus will do something. It does say it's his first miracle, so she can't, she can't have been expecting a miracle, but somehow she knew he'd sort it. He's good at stuff like that. And he says, woman. And I think what's happening is, because this is the beginning, really, of his ministry, it says, after that, his disciples began to believe in him. You see, traditionally, disciples didn't believe in their rabbi. They believed in the rabbi's teaching. They didn't follow the rabbi so much as they followed the teaching of the rabbi. And Jesus is beginning to show Mary that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just the little boy that she's known or even the adult son that she's known. But it's time for her to not just be his mother, but to be his disciple. Must be quite a lesson for a mother to learn. And so it would have been very significant to them both when he said woman. Doesn't seem that much to us, but 
to them both, it would have been a very significant time. I mean, he says to her, my time has not yet come, or really he says, the hour, my hour is not yet here. The hour will be when he cries, it is finished. He's not talking about so much, you know, I shouldn't be doing anything yet. He's also pointing her forward. Because she's with him sat at this wedding, he's going to turn water into wine, uh, uh, but there's going to come a time when she sat at the foot of him being on the cross. That will be the hour. He knows that she's going to be with him in that hour. Not many will be. Most have left by then. You've got Mary herself, his mother, at the foot of the cross. You've got Mary, the wife of Clopas. She was actually Mary's mother's sister, her aunt. And then you've got Mary Magdalene, three Marys, <laughs> and John. And that's it. The rest have all gone, haven't they? He's pointing, he's looking forward. He's... Paul talks about this, because I think what Jesus wants Mary to come to, and this is what, try and hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you don't. I'm saying that this revelation that's coming as God shows us. This is what Paul said. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we regard him thus no longer. We know him no longer in that way. And it's right to know Jesus is your friend, and we don't want to lose that. It's right to be close to him. But I think God wants to remind us, through such miracles as well, Jesus wants to remind us, I'm also God. I am your Lord, your master, your king. And even though he addresses us very kindly, just as he did his mother, he's saying, you need this revelation because he needs a people that follow his way. Because you don't, you might stick with a friend through thick and thin, but there's something different when a friend asks you to do something. There's a real sense of, hmm, yeah, 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 I'll do that with you. When Jesus asks us to do something, it's yes, isn't it? Well, that's how it should be. He's not, he's not asking us so we can spend some time considering whether he's had a good idea or not. He knows it's a good idea because it comes from God. And there's a transition in happening in Mary here from being his mother and knowing him really intimately and well, and yet she's now coming to be a disciple and know him as fully God, fully divine, as well as fully human. It must be almost impossible, mustn't it, to give birth to a baby and come to realize that they are fully divine? I mean, that must mess with your head. Bad enough when those kids grow up and they, they start telling you things and you realize that you're wrong and they're right. You know, that's bad enough. Or, or, or the great struggle of parents about Martin's age, especially dads, where their sons are suddenly breaking through and stronger than them. It's like, that's not allowed. That doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. And then they get fitter and they can run further. And if they want to, they can wrestle you to the ground. 
<laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it causes every man around this age with children of Sean's age and <laughs> Nathan's age to think, yeah, I'm going to get to the gym. We call it a midlife crisis. It's nothing to do with the midlife. It's to do with your children getting too old and wise. It's like, I've got to keep in front of them. Well, imagine what it's like when you realize your son's God. <laughs> and here at this wedding, there's this change taking place in Mary that I think God is saying to us, I want you to take this change on board with you. I can do stuff like this. There's going to be a lot more stuff like this. But you see, the more extraordinary miracles and the more healings there are, the more we'll need them. Because there'll be other battles. That's why just before it says, um, submit to God and resist the enemy, just before it says that the devil prowls around like a lion, looking for those whom he may devour, it says, cast all your anxieties on him. Because we're going to need to. Because if we, if we don't look, because what do you do to cast all your anxieties on Jesus? You look to him as God, don't you? you? Everything comes in perspective when you look at God as God. And God is saying, I want you to look, Jesus is saying, I want you to look at everything in the perspective of God. And then anxieties that you have, very natural, very real because of circumstances, you can give them to me trade them with me even, then in doing that trading, you're submitting to me. And then when, you, when you're submitting these things to me, you're resisting the enemy and he will flee from you. See, people, when we're caught in sickness and fear and anxiety and all these kind of things, and for some people it's, it can have been an ongoing thing, we feel that we're not good enough to do this. No, this is exactly the point. We don't ever have to be good enough. Casting anxiety on him is from that place of anxiety. You can't cast all your anxiety on him if you've got no anxiety or any fear or any shame or anything else. It's assuming that you've taken some on board, so cast it on him. We can't get cleaned up before we go to Jesus. He does the cleaning. We've got to go to him dirty and smelly and sweaty. No, we have. Too many Christians are too scared to go to Jesus because they think their clothes are a bit smelly or you know, their arms are a bit whiffy in terms of sin. That's the exact time Jesus wants us to go to him and acknowledge, I'm like this, whatever that situation is. That's the casting. That's the resisting. Not that you've got to be a super perfect, holy super person. Then I can resist the devil. I have been fasting for seven weeks. I am now ready. Devil, be gone. No. In the midst of the fear, the anger, the whatever mess we get ourselves into... That's when we resist the enemy because we cast it all at God. We submit to God by saying, here's my mess. <laughs> I'm sorry, God. I messed up. I submit to God and then the blood of Christ washes us clean and then we're standing there in radiant glory and the enemy flees from us. 
And we can go, even with the kids, like we did last week, through the gates. Remember, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. But never forget, and this is what I was forgetting, gates don't move. So if, they're not, if these gates are not going to prevail against us, that's not them coming towards us. It's us going towards them, through them, onto the other side, and taking back what the enemy's stolen. He's a thief. He's not having any of us. Thank you, Joanne. Look, we, we, we've... What should I say? It's this knowing Jesus is God. Because we live in a... We're surrounded by and influenced by a completely me-first culture. The consumer culture is all about meeting our needs. People even go to church to have their needs met. Now, God does meet our needs, but that's not why we go there. We're supposed to be going to worship, to focus on him, to focus on that Christ is something more than us, because if we, if, we, if we focus on this sort of individual level, he's just kind of our equal, but a bit more. He's not a bit more. He's, he's up there. He's just amazing, and he's saying to his mother here, the hour is not yet, woman. But he's still going to answer her. He's still going to sort her. She's still put her faith in him. We've got to make sure that the way we look at Jesus is not some earthly perspective. He's not like some super-empowered prime minister. He is God. He's way beyond prime ministers. He's way beyond that. He wants us to stop looking at him from an earthly point of view and realize actually who he is. Because then we can see a lot more of what we've just seen. The hour was the cross, as I said. One intimate moment in so much pain and suffering. Those three women and John at the foot of the cross. A moment of complete vulnerability from Jesus' point of view. He's completely exposed to the world. He's completely on one level in his natural hanging there. Completely vulnerable, completely, it looks like anyway, unable to do anything. He says he could call legions of angels to sort it out, but he's not going to because he's going to surrender to death in order to defeat death. This is the hour. You see, when he changed the water into blood... Not blood, wine. But he did take wine and say, this is my blood. Again, he's showing of what is to come. It's interesting that when he turned all that water in the cleansing jars to wine, he destroyed all the water, in a sense. That water was supposed to be used for washing and ritual cleansing so that you were, you know, purified amongst the people, and he got rid of all of it because he turned it all into wine. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried, don't, washing yourself with wine. You can't do it, can you? It's a sticky mess. He'd ruined it for the purpose that they thought it was there for, but because in Christ, it's that blood that's going to wash us, and so much more than that water ever can. It's going to wash us clean from sickness, from shame, from fear, anxiety, from pain, from sin.
But to get to that point, he had to hang on a cross and literally bleed on the cross. That blood poured out. Which is why when we talk about trading, singing about trading, we were having a lot of fun, but it wasn't just fun. It was, there was a huge, serious warrior spirit in this room. I'm trading this. Why are you trading it? Because Jesus has already bought it. He's paid for all your sickness, for all your shame, for all your pain, for all your fear, for all your anxiety, and he very joyfully takes it off of you. That's the sense of that song. I'm trading it all for the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not just the joy. It's the joy, the strength, the peace, the love. It's everything comes. And Jesus turns all this water that was meant for cleansing into wine. And the, the guy says, you've saved the best till last. Because what the Jewish people had was amazing. They were in covenant with Elohim, Yahweh. They walked with him. They had amazing promises with him. It was good. But in Jesus, he'd saved the best till last. We were going to move from a covenant of law to a covenant of grace. Having shown humankind that the law can only reveal the mess we're in, it cannot save us. It had to re- the, the new covenant comes and reveals that we need a saviour who by mercy and by grace can enable us to live according to how God wants us to live. Not all the tiny rules and regulations that they had, not all that stuff, but the, the law of God, living in God's way. Right? We're not bound by the law, but we certainly want to follow the Ten Commandments, don't we, for example? We're not, oh, we're free, we can, we can commit adultery, we can murder people. And God, you know, it's just nonsense. Grace doesn't enable you to get away with stuff, it enables you to live as God, as God has called you. As, as, a, as a kind of a grace thing, it doesn't really matter what you do, you just do your life your own way because, you know, God's grace will enable you, his mercy will forgive you. Do you know what Paul says about that? He says, God forbid we'd have that attitude. His grace, his mercy washes us clean. And his grace enables us. Kate was, we were talking about this, Kate and I. And she said, it's, she was talking about when she went through chemotherapy. And she said, the hard thing about chemo is, it is to heal you, but obviously it makes you ill. And you start here, and you're given your first dose of chemo, and you, it knocks you down. But you sort of come back up. And if that's where you started, you're about here. But the problem with chemotherapy is it's, it, it's a course. It's a treatment. And two weeks later, you get knocked back down again. But this time, it's about here. And then you're knocked down again, and it's about here. It's like this as you go along. And, but she said, that's not what it's like with God. You know, we do get knocked back, but the blood restores us to here every time. There's no, oh, I'm only back to here now, back to here now, but it's back to here to enable us, actually, to live up here. Because God never restores to the same. He always takes us from glory to glory. You know, we're not expecting Den to be restored to Den as she was. She's going to be better. (laughs) 
This is Den 2.0. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, there will be things. God will, because God takes the terrible things that happen to us and uses them for good. It's not that he wants those things to happen to us, but as we live life in a world of darkness, when there, are, when there is stuff that's happened, he can make so much good come from it. Because he's God, and we've got to look at him as God. Like Mary changed from, this is Jesus who I know, to I need to be a disciple of this man. And she becomes a disciple to the extent that she's one of the four only people that does not desert him at the cross. That's her son. How painful is that? She gave birth to him in pain. She's seeing him die in pain. But she's not letting go. And we know that in the, in the times of praying immediately afterwards, she's in there with them. There were lots of women that were disciples as well. And there on the cross... Jesus is about to return to his father. He's going to cry, it is finished. But before that, because he is still her son, even though he's God, he honors his mother and sister John. John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. He asked John basically, in a beautiful way, to look after her. Because she's an older woman now. She needs somebody, particularly in society of that day, she needs somebody to be there for her. And that's going to be John. But actually, if you think about it, isn't that like the whole church? Doesn't Jesus give each one of us to everyone else? And that is reciprocal. That works both ways. It's kind of a, as Jesus gives us all into the caring hands of each other. He's looking down from the cross, as it were, saying, Look after, look after. We all need to be at the foot of the cross. See, there's nothing left when you're at the foot of the cross, is there? You don't need money. You don't need a car. You don't need a house. You don't even need food at that point. You don't need anything at the foot of the cross. It's that one place of complete surrender. But in that one place of complete surrender, we're actually bound to one another as well as God. And Jesus looks down and says, look after. We've got to gather as those small groups at the foot of the cross. A community of really authentic disciples. Let me just remind you of what Jesus said to those who were following him, his disciples. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I mean, goodness, he repeats it three times. There is no secret method to seeing people saved other than than being able to see the life of God in the church. The life of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, relating and loving one another, divine dance. We're just called to join that divine dance. 
because then you get a people who are strong and are bold and are caring for one another so that we really can make a difference. You know, we probably wouldn't pick ourselves to, to be world changers, but God chose you to change the world one person at a time so that that person can change the world one person at a time so that that person can change the world one person at a time so that we can learn to be together, to walk together, to encourage one another because we're all going to fail at different times, we're all going to have things that go wrong at different times but we're also all going to have amazing things happen when we celebrate together. Do you remember when, I, when we were going to pray with the children last week? And we were, work, we were singing angels from the realms of glory at the time. And I thought, and I was looking at the children, I was standing here looking at the children, I, think, I was thinking, they're really not engaged. They're going to have to be engaged for what we're going to do next. And that's why last week I leapt onto the stage and started doing, ah, what was I doing? Waking everyone up. Come and worship. It wasn't a moment of silliness. It wasn't a spontaneous silly ball movement. It was very, very intentional. It was discipling the children. It was discipling one another. The church actually came alive in that way we did the song. I felt like I was back in J247 all those years ago. I felt a bit like that this morning with that song that the band are doing at the moment. Yes, yes, Lord. We used to do it years ago, J247. I decided I haven't got quite the energy to do this that I had then, though. <laughs> David would have been doing it about age eight or nine, wouldn't you? <laughs> but we, I used to teach the children the same things I was doing with, with everybody today. It's like what we talked about trading, we taught to the children. The children need to know that young, yes. They're going to have times of sorrow. They're going to have times of shame. They're going to have times of pain. They need to learn, as we need to learn, I've got to trade this away because this is not what Jesus died on that cross for me. I need to get together with my friends, my family, at the foot of the cross and realize he's paid the price for all this. It's not mine. I don't have to have it. Jesus is saying to us, look guys, remember, I am the Lord. I am the King. I'm your Lord. I'm your King. Let me grow in your mind. Let me work revelation in your understanding so that we won't even be remotely surprised to see outrageous miracles like this. We have been praying for extraordinary miracles and we've just had one. In fact, we've had two. We've had the dead guy on the street come back to life. I mean, and do you know what's interesting about them? And I, this is when you know it's God. It's because it's almost like nothing's happened. It's just normal. This is not normal. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> You're saying exactly the same. That's exactly how it feels, Dan said. People do not have strokes or aneurysms or whatever it is and a week later be sitting in church. They don't walk into the building and worship. Jesus is Lord. He is God. 
going to have, we, he's going to make us bold. But how do you become bold? Well, part of it, you just start to realize who he is. What else matters, really? And you think, oh, that's who he is. Yeah, okay, that puts things in perspective then. And I was worried about getting an update on my iPhone. We're blessed with all kinds of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's just stuff. The important things are sitting next to you. Yeah? And this, this, when we, and we're learning. We're not very good at it quite often, are we? But we're learning. And I tell you, it is so countercultural to what's happening in the world right now. The world is dividing up into little groups. And the little groups are all full of people who all think exactly the same. Some of them are really noisy too. <laughs> I'm going to finish. A couple of things that Jesus said. I've got a couple of minutes and I'm done, okay? It's the words of Jesus. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. It's actually the cross of Christ that draws people. But how do people see it? How can people see? It's not by putting crucifixes on the outside of our churches. It's not talking about that. It's talking about that people can see this life amen, amen, in amen. his church. Hallelujah. Joining that love dance of the Trinity. So really, that's it. Just for the say, let's, let's gather, shall we? A small band. At the foot of the cross. Because Christ has died. He is risen. He will come again. That's our Anglican friends say. We're going to look at the past of what Jesus has done. But because of what he did on the cross, Christ has died. In the present, we live because Christ has risen. Christ has died. Christ is risen. But we are, that, we are only living in a temporary time. I mean, it's quite a long time from a human point of view, from the death of Jesus to now, 2,000 years. But in eternity, it's, we're living in a brief period of grace. Christ is risen because Christ will come again. We need to know he is coming back. And he's coming back for that small band who were gathered at the cross because they know Jesus is Lord. And if the healings and things that took place this morning, don't let go of any of them. The enemy is unlikely to say, oh, well, never mind. He doesn't play fair. He didn't give Den a break because she wasn't well. He piled it on even more with the nightmares she was having. And you've been healed this morning. But don't be surprised if there's some things that cause you to doubt it. Stand against it. No, Jesus has paid for that. It's not mine anymore. It's his. Amen? Praise God. You're a fabulous group for listening. Be blessed, everybody.
Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.